Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Amen. So, uh, we've, we've, uh, here we are pre-Thanksgiving, big week coming up, a lot of you, and, uh, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. It's, uh, it's such a joy, such a blessing to be with God's people. I, you know, I, I love this. I love the opportunity to gather together with God's people and to see you and to be able to fellowship with you. To me, it's just so important. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just so important. I, I know that there's, you know, as churches get bigger, one of the things that happens is that often the pastor gets more distant from the people. Uh, and so I, I know a lot, of the, a lot of the larger churches, when the minister finishes his sermon, he walks off the platform so that he doesn't have to interact with any crazy people. Because every church has crazy people, but and the more people you have, the more you have. So it becomes a challenge. I mean, I understand why they do it. But, uh, but since I'm one of the crazy people here, uh, then it works. And uh, just in, I just love being here. I just love being here, being with God's people. So we're talking about finding your purpose. And this is part two of last week because uh, you didn't listen well. And so it took me a long time. Uh, I'm going to blame you. No, this is part two because I had too many notes last week. And so what's hard about part two is that I know some of you weren't here for part one. So I'm going to go back over some of part one and hope that I don't run out of time, you know, preaching part one again, that I won't get to part two. So, you know, I'm probably going to, I'm going to not read every scripture that I would normally read, uh, so if you need, you know, if you have any questions about this, I'll always send you my notes. There are several people that weekly I send my notes, and if you if you would like a copy of my notes, you can say I, I don't understand. He didn't make any sense to me. Uh, maybe I can figure it out. Also, if there, you know, often I have other Bible verses that I don't read every Bible verse. I mean, my tendency is if there's five verses that or that clarify a subject, I will read all five. But time does not always allow that. So. Finding your purpose. This is about the stewardship of your purpose. And Jesus told this parable in Matthew 25. Again, it. And when he says it, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money. Then one he gave another two talents. Another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on a journey, his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out and at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And also, so also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So every one of us have been given talents. Uh, the word we're going to talk more about what the word means, but we, we've all been given talent. The number one talent that you have is that you're you're alive. The gift of life is a great gift. You know, you can't agree if you're dead, but uh, we would all agree, right? And a lot, a lot of times we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not thankful enough for how great a gift just to have life is. To have 
life is wonderful. And then, then we each have certain natural talents and abilities. Uh, Tim is a tremendous musician. Uh, he's played the guitar since he was a young kid, young man. He's always, he's always been very talented and gifted. Uh, he's a great singer. Uh, I have, I've tried to play the guitar. Uh, I have a ukulele. Uh, because it only has four strings, so it you know, simplifies it a little bit, and I still struggle with that. Uh, that's not my area of giftedness. But, but we've all got things that we're good at. I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good at fixing stuff. Uh, I can fix you know, a lot of stuff uh, and not have too many leftover parts. Uh, so, but you know, we have different abilities. Uh, as believers, we have spiritual gifts, also, which gives us a whole other layer, often it, and it often the Lord, you know, because he's God, our spiritual gifts and our natural gifts fit together. They fantail together, and the Lord uses that so that we can serve him more effectively. And then we have the gift of resources, uh, which we have time and money, uh, and how we steward time and money. When you don't have money, Money is the most important, and you will trade your time for money, right? I mean, that's what, I mean, when you go to work, what are you doing? You're trading your time for money uh, because you need money. Uh, if, if there's a point in your life where you have enough money, time is more important. Jeff Bezos is not worried about more money. Well, he may be, but that's stupid. Uh, he can never spend what he's got. Uh, he's not, but he's worried about time. He, you know, he's probably trying to figure out all the life lengthening drugs that he can take and everything that he can do, and you know, the, to both look long, younger and so you know, and to so act younger, be younger. So, uh, so once you have enough money, time is more important, and you'll trade money for time. We uh, when we built we built our house. I think we've been in our house 25 or 26 years, and we built our house, you know, 20 that time, and it's on 1.2 acres, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, but that's a lot of yard, and uh, it takes a long time to mow it, so, yeah, not two hours for me, but, I mean, and weed eating is the, mowing is, you know, not too bad, but then weed eating is the devil who, you know, weed eating. And uh, one day I was weed eating uh, with an old weed eater and, uh, that I'd fixed and repaired multiple times, and it was giving me fits, and the gas tank started leaking on it. And I just turned around and took the, the end of it and just beat the head of it on the ground until it came apart. And my kids said, oh, no, Dad's lost it. And I was like, that was one of the most joyous moments of my life. That weed eater needed to die. And <laughs> so, uh, so I pay somebody to mow the... So now, uh, it's more valuable to me to have the time, and I pay somebody to mow the grass. Now, you don't have to do that, but I hate it, and I just love it. If somebody else loves to do it, they'll do it. They may not even love to do it, but they're doing it for money. So, uh, so the problem is when you have a, a family, you're struggling with money and time, money and time. You don't have enough money, and you don't have enough time. You're trying to do everything. Everything takes, you think, huh, it doesn't matter how much money I make, it's not enough. 
because you got kids and they're spending it. It's like it's like going through a, a sieve in the it's a hole in the ground. You you make more money, you get a you get a bonus check, and you say, "Where'd the bonus check go?" Well, the kids needed this and then this and they needed this and they needed this and this and they're like, oh, and the water pump went out on the car, and then we're going to do this and. It's, so you're, you're always caught in that struggle while, you know, of time and money, time and money. It, we call it the work-life balance. So you're trying to balance. How do, how do I have enough? I got to work. So you think, I, I can work these overtime hours, but then I'm going to have to not spend time with my family. Or I can spend time with my family, but then I can't afford to be with my family because I didn't work the overtime hours. It's like, right? So that's the challenge of how do we manage our time and resources well? So in this parable, Jesus entrusts each of the servants with a certain amount of talents, one five, one two, one one. Each of those talents is worth, they say today, in, in purchasing power today, a talent then would be about 75 pounds of silver, but you know, which would only be worth about $26,000 in today's dollars. But in actual buying power, they're saying that a talent of silver in Jesus' day would be worth about $600,000 in buying power, what it could purchase. So it's, so it's like one man got $3 million, one man got $1.2 million, and one man got 600000 So they're given these talents. Uh, and you think about it, uh, no servant's talents were insignificant, right? I mean, to get five, $3 million is great. To get one point two million is wonderful. But to get six hundred thousand ain't chump change. Right? I mean, would you say if someone came to you and said, Well, I'm gonna give you one point two and I'm gonna give you six hundred thousand, you say, Well, if you're not gonna give me one point two, I don't want it. You know. You wouldn't say that. You would it's a lot of money. So what it's saying is that what everyone got was significant. And and what we have, even if all you have, even if the only gift you have, even the only resource you have is life, then that's a lot. So some are given more, some are given less, but all were given much. And then these talents are grace gifts. We see that they're grace gifts. The master wasn't obligated to give anybody anything. Was he? So everything is a grace. And everything should be received with Thanksgiving. So one of the things as we're in this Thanksgiving season, you know, this Thursday's Thanksgiving. And here's the, here's the power of gratitude. Is that if gratitude defeats depression and anxiety. So if you are depressed and anxious, the way you overcome it is you fill your mind not with trying to think about more things that you can be fearful. And it's like, you know, don't see a pink elephant in your mind. Whatever you're doing, don't think about a pink elephant, right? That's the way, when we're, it's like, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid. But when we fill it instead with gratitude, it helps us to overcome that. So we should always think about how we can be more gracious, be thankful for what we have. And then uh, they were given according to their ability, which doesn't make sense to us because it sounds like they were given their talents according to their talents. They were given their talents according to their talents, because that's what, that's what it's, it reads to us. But the word uh, that's abilities in the Greek is dunamis, which is power, like dynamite. So it's that God gave them talents, and he also gave them abilities. He gave them talents and capabilities. He gave them talents and opportunities. 
and gave them talent and the power to do something about it. In other words, they, they had the, ta- the talent was from God and the power was from God. So then there was a day there was an accounting. The master comes back and the master comes back and he says, okay, what did you do with the money that I gave you? And this, the Bible tells us that there is a day of accounting coming that we all will have to give an account for our life. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while he is in the body, whether good or bad. So Jesus says there's a day of, that is coming, that of coming judgment and rewards for everybody, even believers. Even in the very last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, it says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So what this tells us, all Christians will stand before Christ as the judge. Uh, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it tells us. Not just unbelievers, but we, and not some of us, but all of us. And uh, when we stand before Christ as judge, we will be judged according to our deeds in this life. And in other words, how we live is important. What you do with your talents, with your life, with your gift, with your resources, your time and money is of eternal significance. And there will be an accounting for how we used what we have. And for some, it will be a judgment. It will be heaven and hell judgment. First, this judgment declares who is and who isn't saved. Part of the reason for this judgment is that some people will, in this judgment, will, will realize that they will not inherit heaven. And the aim of this judgment is also to reward those of us who have been faithful to utilize the gifts that God has given for the works in this body. So, our deeds will reveal who enters heaven, and our deeds will reveal the measure of our reward in the age to come. So, when you read that, it sounds like It's saying we're not saved by grace. We're saved by works. So I want to clarify that. We are saved by grace totally, completely. Ephesians 2.8 tells us this. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is not of works. That is, works cannot earn salvation. No matter how good you are, no matter how good you think you are or think yourself to be, good works do not earn salvation. Uh, Works do not put God in debt to you. I heard somebody say one time they were having car trouble and they were complaining about having car trouble. And they said, it's not fair that I should have car trouble because I've been paying my tithes. How many of you know you can pay your tithes and still have car trouble? When you pay your tithes, you don't pay your tithe either as a debt from God or to God. And giving does not create debt on God's part. Some of you are like, well, I went to church today and the preacher preached a long time. God owes me big time now. That's what Tim Allen thinks. Uh, (laughs) He was smiling when I said that. I could tell. He was like, yep, that's me. Uh, 
but that's, we, we get this sense of debt that we, we've, we've done something so God, so God owes us. I've served God all my life. He owes me. I've done this for God. He owes me. There's nothing you can do that can create debt with God. He doesn't owe. It's, all, it's either a grace gift or it's nothing. So that would uh, contradict grace. Our deeds are not the basis, but they are the evidence of our salvation. They are evidence. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. There is an evidence to our faith. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The scripture is filled, New Testament is filled with these verses that say, because of who you are, this is how you'll live. Because of whose you are, this is how you'll act. For we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. Faith in Christ alone saves us, but they are the evidence of our salvation. They are not, they are not foundation. Our faith is foundation, but they are demonstration. Salvation is owned by faith, but it is shown by deeds. Some who think they are saved will be eternally lost. Because their works didn't come from faith, their motivation was wrong. They looked good. And if you and I were judging them, we would have said, oh, well, they're going to heaven. But when they get the last judgment, they're, they're not because their works were not right. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You think, whew, man, wait, they're doing all the good stuff. Why, why don't they get to go to heaven? Because their emphasis wasn't on Jesus. Their emphasis was on this, what we did. Did we not? They are putting their faith not in the complete work of Christ. They're putting their faith not what Jesus did on the cross, not what he did in the resurrection, not what he did when he ascended to the Father, not what he did when he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. They're putting their faith in their works that God owes them. Look what we did. You owe us salvation. It doesn't work that way. 1 Corinthians 4 5 says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. You know why we're not supposed to judge people's motives? We do judge people's actions, by the way. People say you're not supposed to judge. You need to read all the scripture, not just a couple of verses. We are supposed to judge. We cannot judge people's motives. We can't even trust our own motives. Did you know that? Your heart's deceitful. Don't follow your heart. It'll lead you down the wrong path. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time because you don't have the resources nor the ability to judge another person's motive. But God does. He alone has the ability to judge the motive of man's heart. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motive of each man's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. So I can't judge your motives, but God can. So I, I, I can't judge you. I can't. I shouldn't judge your motives, but I should. If you, as a brother, are overtaken in a fault in a sin, I'm who's spiritual. If I am spiritual, I should endeavor to restore you in love, looking to myself, 
because I need to do this humility because I could fall tomorrow in the same way. So, so the reward of good stewardship, he says to them, the reward of good stewardship is well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And that's what we all want to hear, right? We want to hear the Lord say, you, well done. You, <laughs> you did what I called you to do, what I told you to do. You said yes to me. Uh, and so we're all going to be judged, receive varying rewards. And the Bible refers to them in different ways, the crown of glory, the crown of life that we're going to receive on that day. We're going to receive these crowns. And it's not like a gold crown. It's more like the, the kind of crown they got when they won an Olympic race was just a laurel wreath. It wasn't, it wasn't the value and it wasn't in the crown itself, but that it was a measure, it's kind of, of the accomplishment. So, so the Lord's going to reward us eternally. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 8, the man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Ephesians 6, 8, because you know that the Lord will reward, reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And Paul said in 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved, longed for his appearing. So, so there, there, there are going to be rewards, and I don't think that's going to be the focus when we get to heaven. It's, look what I got, and look what you got. I think it's good, because it seems like when we get the crowns, it seems like they all end up at the feet of Jesus anyway. Because every crown that we've got, everything we've done, if we've done anything good that was, that was eternal and it's going to last, that doesn't burn up, it's not wood, hay, or stubble, that's a whole other series of sermons. <laughs> but if it's going to last, it's because Jesus called us, empowered us, and enabled us. And so he gets, should get all of the glory, not ourselves. So, so good stewardship will produce good results, and it will produce an opportunity for us to witness. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So deeds are not, not what we need to get to heaven. We get to heaven by faith. Our deeds are evidence that we have faith in Christ. But how we live is important because it enables us to witness. If you don't have a a life that enables you to witness, you can't. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So God, godly, faith-filled, Christ-like living gives us a good testimony. And that testimony opens the door for us to share faith because we shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So we get an opportunity to share Christ with people People will ask us, Peter says, people are going to ask you the reason for the hope that's within you so we get an opportunity to share what's going on inside of us. We get to talk about the hope is Christ. And so we get to do that, and we get to do it with humility because how many of us have a perfect testimony? Everybody living? What's the goal? Jesus? So... We're only like Jesus because we've been clothed with his righteousness. But in our practical living, we fall short. Does anybody here fall short? 
I mean, did you like cuss at your kids on the way to church? You know, it's like, it's like, man, I got along. I'm cussing at the kids to get them in the car. I'm telling you, you damn kids, get in the car. We're gonna go. We need to go love Jesus. Y'all don't ever, I, my kids are grown. I didn't do that today. Okay. I can judge you. I've already done that. It's your turn. Uh, but what happens? We so we mess up. So do you ever mess up? And so they see it. So how do we respond to that? With humility. And we say, people say, well, I, uh, you call yourself, people say, well, you call yourself a Christian. They always talk that way. You call yourself a Christian. <laughs> you say, yeah, some Christian you are. And you say, you're right. I, I'm, I'm not the measurement Christ is. And I mess up. And man, I need forgiveness. I need grace every day. Because I want to be, I, my, I genuinely want to be like Jesus. I want to be an example of Jesus in the world. I want to, but I fall short. But I, I, I'm going to get, I've fallen, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus. And you see, that humility and grace brings people along. It's like, oh, I got to be perfect because if people know I'm messed up, they, they, won't, they won't listen. They know you're messed up. <laughs> you, you just thought they didn't know. They know, and so it's out of humility. We show them how grace brings us along, how grace is moving in our life, how much God loves us, and how he just lavishes it upon us, and how good he is. So that becomes the basis of our testimony in, in a dark, difficult world. So uh, the judgment of bad stewardship. Then the man who had received the one talent came, he said, Master, I know you're a hard man. Harvesting we have not sown, and gathering we have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, it's almost like, see, here you have what belongs to you. It's almost like he's resentful, isn't it? The servant blamed the master's character for his lack of diligence. And he's even like mad because he gave him the talent in the first place because it gave him a response. He didn't see it as a blessing. He saw it as a responsibility. And so he's like, he's like, Ugh. so I just took it and buried it in the ground. So it's, he's not even, he's never thankful. He's not, oh, thank you, master, that you entrusted me with one talent. He's comparing himself to the five and he's comparing himself to the two. I mean, couldn't the two have compared himself to the five and done nothing? But out of comparison, he's looking at himself and said, well, I didn't get, all I got was one stinking talent. Instead of saying, look, I got a talent. And see, what's the difference? It's attitude. All I got was one talent. Poor me. They got two. He got five. It's not fair. I'm not using this talent because all I got one stinking talent. And God says, but you got a talent. You got a talent. You got 600,000. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to bury it. And he blames the master. He has a warped view of his master, and it shaped his obedience. And if you have a warped view of God, it will shape your obedience. Amen. If you think God is hard, see God is this incredibly, because he's perfect, he's both holy, perfectly holy, perfectly just, and perfectly loving. And there, it's not either or, oh, God's either, you know, he's the God of the Old Testament, he's the God of wrath, he's the God of the New Testament, he's all love. No, 
He's the same God in the both Old and New Testament. So it's understanding that's the way he operates with us. Your master is hard. He saw the master is hard. You know, I saw that you're a hard taskmaster. In Matthew 25, verse 24, in the message, I th- this word hard is, or severe can mean more than just that. I like the way that uh, Eugene Peterson translated this. The servant given 1,000, they use 1,000 for the talent. Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways and that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. So he's saying, I I know that you expected a, a lot from me. And so... And he did. He expected, he expected the same thing he expected from the five and the two and the one. He expected him to use the talent to accomplish all that he could. So instead, in fear and resentment over being given the talent, he, he hid it. And he, and he blames the master. He says, I know that you, you, know, you, you reap where you haven't sown. Now that... Someone who reaps where they haven't sown, what does that say about them? It says they are taking advantage of other people's progress. They're paying attention. They notice that somebody did something that led to advantage, and then they are able to take advantage of that advantage. They're making progress off of other people. They're learning from other people. You don't have to, you don't have to make every mistake. You can learn from other people's mistakes. So he's... He's living in fear and resentment of this talent. I mean, you think about it. He's got it buried in the ground, so every day he's got to think about, oh, I hope nobody finds that talent. Man, man. So what's he doing? He's having to go out to the tree he buried it under, make sure he's not followed, go and dig it back up. Oh, it's still here. Oh, oh my goodness. So this fear, this fear, is just, it's just a bondage. This fear, it's, it's not freedom. That's why he resents it. He resents it because the blessing is not, he doesn't see it as a blessing. He sees it as a bondage. Oh, the, look, look what he did to me. He gave me the $600,000. What am I going to do with this? And so he's not, he's not being a steward of it, and he's hiding it. But the master has just showed diligence. If you want to get better at anything, then you need to reap where you haven't sowed. In other words, first of all, I would say ask the true master. There is a true master teacher, and he is the Holy Spirit. And he will lead you into all truth. The scripture tells us, John chapter 14 tells us that when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. So the, the Holy Spirit will help you, and he will help you in every area of your life. So if, I could have you raise your hand and say, who wants to be a better parent? Who wants to be a better husband? And not everybody raised your hand. It's weird. No, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is good enough. <laughs> I peaked about five or six years ago, and uh, I'm not putting any more effort in. Uh, <laughs> but, in, you know, in reality, so anything, any, the Holy Spirit knows everything. And if you, if you submit yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you say, you, you come before God and say, God, I, want, I, I need to be better. He will lead you in places and the Holy Spirit will take you by the hand and will help you 
get hold of resources and help so that you'll get better. He will improve you as a wife, a, a husband, a boss, an employee, a student. There's no excuse for you to stay stuck in a rut. Get around people that are smarter than you and more excited than you and learn from them. Reap where you haven't sowed. Learn from other people's mistakes. There are just so many resources today. You can, you can, you can get information on everything. There are podcasts on leadership. There are podcasts on parenting. There's podcasts on marriage. There's some of the best resources have, that have ever been available in the history of the world are at your fingertip and can easily be resourced. When my, the transmission went out in my F-150 truck at 200,000 miles, I found a YouTube video and took the transmission apart and fixed. I, this guy, I just, listen to this guy. Take out this boat, Okay. Pause. Take out this boat. Okay. It's amazing. That, I mean, if, you, if you've ever thought about doing it, somebody made a YouTube video about it. How to murder your wife. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Probably. I haven't looked it up. I promise you, I have not looked that up. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Okay. Uh, XO, is, XO Marriage is a great site. XO Marriage will help you with your marriage. Uh, is there an area of your life where you're burying your talents instead of investing your talents in faith? Don't let fear master you and determine the boundaries of your life. When, when fear controls you, when fear determines what you do, you are, you're not demon-possessed. But it's like you're demon-possessed because you are possessed by the father of lies. You are believing his lies about you. So when we've let fear, well, you know, and keep us from doing what we believe God calls us to do, to take the 600,000 and invest it but instead, out of fear, do nothing, then we miss God's purpose and plan for our life. We need to walk around, you need to walk around with a yes to God in your mouth. Because God's going to call you to stuff, and you need to learn to start saying yes. Lauren talked about this in the podcast. We have a new podcast called, uh, called More Than Sunday. <laughs> Every week I have to ask this. More than Sunday, it's at Life Community Church, uh, Sunnyvale on the podcast looking place. <laughs> where you, and YouTube, where you, where you get your podcast, uh, YouTube, and then get, you can fix your transmission while you're listening to it. Uh, she talked about it. You know, think about this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, said yes when it was against all odds against every sense in the world for her to say yes. So the angel of the Lord shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, how? That's ridiculous. I don't believe you. He said, well, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And he's like, oh. And the, she, she has all this time to think about all the things, whatever her parents are going to say, what's the community going to say, 
What's, what's Joseph going to say? What's everybody going to say? I mean, every reason in the world for her to say no, for her to say, no way. This is going to cost too much. It's going to be too hard. I don't understand how it's going to happen. It's, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would God do this? Why would God choose me? I'm, I'm the least likely to be chosen. And those are all arguments we all use. And we say no to God. And she turned and said, may it be to me according to your word. She said yes. Living with a yes. When you just start saying yes to God. When God says to you, hey, it's time to lay down that unforgiveness. Yes. It's time for you to lay down that habit. Yes. It's time for you to talk to that person about me. Yes. It's time for you to ask that person. Go, go to that person and ask them if they want you to, could you pray for them? Have the Lord ever told you to do that? This happens to Tina all the time. So I, I kind of get away. Okay. No. no. But the Lord will speak to her and she'll pray for people and God will do incredible things. Because if you bury it in the ground, nothing happens. But if, you, but if you invest it in the kingdom, you see increase. So a lot of times the Lord will give you something simple. Like maybe there's somebody you work with and they're going through something. And, and, and you, you, you feel like the Lord's saying to you, you kind of hear it, you don't know. And you feel like the Lord says to you, hey, ask them if they want you to pray for them. And you know, the first thing you do is you say, oh, that's not, me. That's not God, that's me. You ever heard that argument with yourself? You, in other words, God, you feel like God says something. Or somebody says something, <laughs> and you think, oh, that's not God, that's me. Although it's the last thing you want to do. So, but you say yes. So when you start living with a yes in your mouth, it changes the trajectory of your life. It's, it's taking your talents and getting them out of the ground and investing them in the kingdom of God. And when you do that, the resource is not you. The resource is God. Where's the talent coming from? It's coming from God. And God that is able to take, take that obedience and multiply it and accomplish something because you've said yes to him. Where are you letting fear determine your boundaries? Where are you letting fear determine your obedience? God wants to give you the freedom so that you can invest in the kingdom. You can be a steward of this resource, your life, by saying yes, yes. And there's great things that he can do. Amen. i got to quit. Let's stand. I mean, I, the Cowboys don't play till Thursday. So I can... You know, we got plenty of time. Just bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to think about something. I want you a question. Is there an area of your life where fear is determining the boundaries of your life? Is there some place where God's dealt with you, spoken to you about some area? Maybe it's a habit or Maybe it's unforgiveness or maybe it's having the faith to move out or start a new business or all kinds of things. But you know it's something that, and, and all you've done is argue with God and say no. But I want to tell you, there's freedom. You've, God gave you freedom so you could live in the yes. You could live in faith. 
Would you say yes to God today? And have you said yes to the most important decision you'll ever make? Have you said yes to the invitation from God the Father to be part of his family that he sent Jesus Christ to die for you so that you could be his? Have you said yes to him? The Bible calls that the work of faith. One of the most important works you'll ever do is the work of faith to believe in him who was sent. So I want to pray for you. So if you say there's an area where fear has got me in bondage, I want you to slip up a hand, put it back down. Don't have to stay up. Just slip it back up, back down. Thank you. We're going to pray. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of us. Thank you, Lord. Father, you come. You came to set us free. You came to set the captives free. Jesus, you want us to live by faith, not by fear. Faith is trust in you. It's not in just foolishness, but it's trust in your word, trust in your spirit, trust in your work within us. And Lord, I pray that you would break us free of every bondage of fear that's holding us, that has determined the boundaries of our life. And we, we just, we come against that. We say, Lord, break every chain of fear. Break every bondage of fear. Help us, Lord, from this day, say, I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to dig up my talent. I'm going to offer it to God. I want to use it to his glory. I want to be a steward of what you've given me, Lord, and I I don't want to be bound by fear anymore. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.